Hey everyone, this is uh, Tim Varner. This is a yet named podcast for Grace Church Stanford. Um, I am here with Pastor Drew Belden. Hi everybody. Thanks, Drew. Um, this is our first podcast, uh, and, and thanks for being a part of it, Drew. We appreciate your being here. Absolutely. Uh, so this is our first podcast. So please spare your judgments. Um, <laughs> we uh, we may make some mistakes here, but um, I, I want to jump right into things. And I guess I guess the the place to start is just to say why are we recording this, Drew? Um, can you uh, give people a general overview of of what we're up to? Yeah, great question. You know, really, uh, you know, in short, what we're trying to do is uh, to be creative in how we can connect you, the congregation, uh, in light of the, you know, shelter in place protocols we're all under. Uh, We're in the midst of Holy Week 2020. And as a part of our celebration of Jesus' passion, we've recommended families consider celebrating a really special meal, uh, the Passover Seder on Monday, Thursday. Yeah, so that's great. So, um, I just want to emphasize something here. Um, my my one fear here is that people get too caught up in the details of a Passover Seder and miss reflecting on Jesus. So I, I just want to say, make this dinner fun. Um, yeah. Don't sweat the details. Don't be too precious about it. Um, do push yourselves to see the connections between the Old Testament narratives like the Exodus and Passover and how they find their fulfillment in Jesus. Uh, but don't don't get lost in, in the minutiae. Yeah, the Seder really is fun. It's a festive meal. Uh, but like Tim said, you know, we don't want it to be a burden. We don't want to distract you from Christ who's central. So again, use it as a tool uh, to draw closer to him during this week. Okay, so let's just dive in then. Um, I guess the best place to start is by unpacking that word salad that we've just thrown at everybody. Um, <laughs> we should define what we mean by Monday Thursday, and we should define what we mean by Passover Seder. So those are both mouthfuls. Uh, would you mind starting us off by defining Monday Thursday? Yep, absolutely. Um, Monday is Latin for mandate. So um, when you think about Monday Thursday, it could also be called Mandate Thursday. The mandate is being referred to G- is uh, it's Jesus's institution of the Lord's Supper which is recorded in passages like Matthew 26, Luke 22, and Mark 14. This uh, happened on the Thursday of Passion Week, which was the last night of Jesus' earthly life. So one of the very final pieces of Jesus' ministry was to mandate that his church celebrate communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very helpful, Drew. Um, and I, I should just point out that we know that Jesus was celebrating a Passover meal. Uh, that's said explicitly in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, I believe, in both Luke and Mark's account, um, that Jesus said he desired to have the Passover meal with them. So, um, and we do know um, that this Seder um, was contemporaneous to that time. So, I guess uh, that. I just T-balled something up for you there, Drew. Would you define <laughs> Seder as well? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, in a manner of speaking, Seder is Jewish thanksgiving. Seder literally means liturgy or order. Uh, it's a traditional mm-hmm. feast uh, that the, the Jews would eat on Passover to commemorate their deliverance from Egypt by the hand of God. That combines scripture readings and prayers and mm-hmm. songs and you know symbolic menu of items. In simple terms, um, the Seder is is really a meal commemorating God's deliverance of his people that is structured around a dinner liturgy. Uh, the celebration of Passover in this way goes way back into Israel's history and well into Old Testament times. It's really yeah, powerful. And, and, yeah, it is. And as I mentioned a moment ago, um, we do know that the celebration of a Seder, of an order 
very similar to the one that we're going to walk through in a minute, was contemporaneous to the time of Jesus. And there's fragments in the biblical account that lead us to think that he celebrated something on the night he instituted the Lord's Supper that's very similar to what we're celebrating. Of course, there's no way to know that it's a one-to-one. And, and again, we're, we're, we're not going to be too detailed about it. But um, yeah, so let's let's talk about Passover. Um, it's, it's a meal that looks back to Passover. And I think maybe it would be good to simply remind our, our listeners what the um, the Passover was. So do you, would you mind doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you remember, uh, Passover uh, was established when God rescued his people Israel from Egyptian slavery. Mm-hmm. So um, for the, all those the kids that are listening, if you're listening, remember there was 10 plagues. Nine of those plagues did not move the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Um, So God sent one final plague that provoked the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to relent temporarily and free the Israelites. This plague, which was the death of all of Egypt's firstborn sons, gave only a short window in which to escape. So the meal, uh, the the Passover Seder meal, preceding it had to be something that could be eaten in haste. Uh, The unleavened bread was essential to the Passover as the people had no time to wait for the dough to rise. if They were to get away. So the blood of the Passover lamb was also a part of the feast. Uh, Though the people did not consume the blood, they did spread it on their doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over their households. In so doing, the Israelites marked themselves off as God's people saved from his wrath. Yeah, that's that's very good. Um, So God's judgment did not fall on them. It fell on the Egyptians, but they were spared. That's very helpful. Um, I, I recently read one theologian who said that, you know, just as Jesus' death and resurrection, what we call Good Friday and Easter, are the center of gravity of the New Testament, um, really the center of gravity in the Old Testament is this Exodus story. And uh, the Passover is a big part of that. Um, I'd love to talk in more depth about those themes. The New Testament obviously says a lot about that. You know, Jesus is both the the sacrifice and the priest, but he's also uh, the new Moses who leads his people, uh, both Jew and Gentile, in new deliverance. And um, he's the new Israel who's faithful to his father. We could say a lot about these things, but um, let's just limit ourselves to talking about um, Jesus and the Passover now. Would you mind... Um, connecting the new testament does a pretty good job of connecting Jesus, the person of jesus to the passover lamb from the stories of exodus 12 that you just mentioned but perhaps if we point that out to people it might make it a little bit more explicit would you mind doing that yeah yeah absolutely so there's a number of passages uh that um kind of highlight on jesus being uh the passover lamb john 129 first peter 1 first corinthians 5 um Mm -hmm. and because the passion of christ took place the week of passover the early church they quickly understood that jesus fulfilled the symbolism in the passover meal as the lamb of god remember this is john the baptist he says as the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world Mm-hmm. So the marking of the blood on the, dark, on the doorpost in Exodus 12 that we, we just talked about, that has a clear tie to the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so all of these uh, different passages, these references, it's no surprise that the Lord's disciples, they linked his death to the Passover throughout their writings. Yeah. And I, I think uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is a, a very explicit verse that I sometimes go to um, yeah. where Paul refers to 
Jesus as the Paschal lamb. And so the Paschal is just the Passover lamb. That's um, right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, one, um, one further thing, by the way, Tim, just to keep yeah, in please. mind, uh, is that the Jews, they accounted for days differently than we do. So they followed the pattern of Genesis 1. You know, there was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day, etc. The Jews of Jesus' day saw the day as running from sunset to sunset, not sunrise to sunrise as we do. So um, this means that Jesus was sacrificed on the Passover. The Passover Seder meal began the day and he was at the cross before the next sunrise. He, he was really a lamb led to the slaughter. Yeah. So, so that sunset, the sunset thing, there's, there's sometimes debates about, you know, was Jesus, um, did he go to the cross in the Passover day? And one of the confusions there is that uh, we account for our days different right, ways. Right. That, that's super helpful. Uh, very good. Okay. So you just made a good connection between a clear connection between Jesus and the Passover lamb. Uh, let's take another uh, approach to this and talk about the connection between Passover and the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, so why, what is that connection? I guess I should just ask. Yeah, really, just as in the New Testament, circumcision replaced baptism. We believe that Passover is replaced by the Lord's Supper. We see explicit connection of that in the Luke 22 text, uh, Tim, that you referenced earlier. Yeah, and if I could just add something, it's absolutely the case that the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment of Passover. But um, I think that connection is made even more explicit in the fact that the Lord's Supper and, and Jesus himself fulfills all these Old Testament feasts, right? Um, so we've already discussed the Passover, but I'm sure those listening could make connections rather quickly between how um, Jesus or the Lord's Supper fulfills all of the Old Testament feasts. Yeah, yeah. There's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, that points mm -hmm. to the sinlessness right. of Christ. You have the, the Feast of the First Fruits, which points to Jesus' resurrection as he's the first fruits of the new creation, you know, and, and, and so on yep. and so on. Yeah, no, that, that's totally correct. Um, the Norwalk Life Group has been going through the Gospel of John, and one of the ways that we've structured our studies is uh, we broke down um, chapters 5 through 10 around um, – Something that's called the festival cycle in John. Are you are you mm. familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But maybe, yeah, maybe it'd be helpful to go over it for sure. the people. Okay. So again, connecting the Lord's Supper and more importantly, Jesus to the fulfillment of these Old Testament feasts. One of the things that the Apostle John does is he's got this section in his gospel that runs from chapter five um, through verse or through chapter 10 where we see Jesus explicitly going to a feast and then saying how he's the fulfillment of it. So in 5.1, we're told that he goes up to Jerusalem. Um, in 6.3 and 4, we're told that he goes to a Passover. That's the second Passover in the gospel. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Um, the uh, seven one he goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is a an eight day long celebration. It's 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 set, it's a week long, and then there's a an eighth day that's a, a festival day um, that goes all the way up to ten twenty two, and and then in ten twenty three we see that Jesus um, goes to the festival of dedication, which um, is Hanukkah, and so um, so there's all these. Um, these festivals that we see John showing us that Jesus is fulfilling. And it's, um, it's in the backdrop of those passages, but like one of the clear things that John is showing us is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all this, this festal activity in the old Testament. Yeah. Right. Right. 
And, you know, and in and, and, and each feast, Jesus not only is showing himself to be the fulfillment of the feast, but also one and the same as the God of Israel, whose work sure. for his people, the feast commemorate. Yeah, there's that uh, great old hymn that says, he himself, uh, himself the sacrifice, himself the priest. And yes, yeah, so he is both the object and the fulfiller of it. Um, you know, I just want to make w- one quick point. Um, uh, we just mentioned Hanukkah and... Um, Hanukkah is not a, um, Jesus goes up to celebrate Hanukkah in, in John 10, but it's not an Old Testament, uh, requirement. Um, it's not a law in the Old Testament that, that has us, that requires the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Jesus is really doing that as part of his Jewish heritage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Hanukkah is found in some apocryphal books. I think it's in, in first or second Maccabees, but what, what's important for us is, Jesus shows in keeping with his Jewish heritage that there is something appropriate about us marking out what God has done for us in history. Mm. And so in keeping with our Christian heritage, that's why the, we we keep things such as um, Palm Sunday right, and right. Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and the resurrect in Easter in, in Christmas, right? right? Christmas, right. Um, so if, if people feel like... Um, you know, if, if 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 they're reluctant about celebrating what God has done in history, they shouldn't be right. There's good, there's good biblical evidence that um, it's perfectly okay, and really we should embrace it. Yeah, right. Okay, so if I can get get us back on track, though, a few minutes ago, or over the last couple of minutes, we've been really talking about how Jesus came and fulfilled all the Old Testament feasts. Um, I, I guess it kind of begs the question: if he got rid of all that old ritual then why would we institute at least two new rituals, baptism and the Lord's Supper, <laughs> yeah, that's right. for, for us to do? Like, uh, can you can you square that for people? I, I think some people might be wondering, wait, if he fulfilled everything, why does he give us something new? Yeah, great question. There really, there really are several ways at that question. Um, and again, for the sake of time, I'll just highlight a few. Um, oh, a few reasons. Number one, Jesus set them in place to commemorate his earthly ministry. Uh, returning to the account of the Lord's Supper in Luke, uh, Jesus tells us that he gives the supper to us so that when we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. So just as the Passover meal was done mm-hmm. in remembrance of God sparing Israel from judgment, the Lord's Supper is done in remembrance of Jesus taking our judgment on himself. So first it's to commemorate his earthly ministry. Second, okay, Jesus, number two. yeah, number two, Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper as a way to be his people between his incarnation and his second coming. Let me explain. Uh, you know, if you think about Luke 22, Jesus says he won't drink again from the Passover cup until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So each week when we take the Lord's Supper, we're not only looking back to the cross and resurrection, we're counting down the days until Jesus returns. That's so it has a very a future focus. Um, and then third, uh, this uh, Jesus left us with the supper um, really as an anticipation of the heavenly banquet and the eternal life of feasting we'll have with him once he returns, destroy um, death, his his and our last enemy. Um, so this is where the events of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, oh man, they all converge and eagerly anticipate life after life after death. It's really, really good yeah. stuff. That's a nice expression, life after life after death. I like that. Um because that was that was helpful. Um, I think other people will find it useful too. Um, I think then um, we we need to just move into a discussion of the Seder itself. I, yeah. we, we've connected Jesus to the Passover. 
we've connected the Lord's Supper to the Passover. And um, I, I, at this point, um, I, I, we, we delivered a, uh, a Passover liturgy to everyone in the church um, by way of PDF. They should have it by an email. If they have that in front of them, it would be really helpful for them to grab it. Now, do you have yours in front of you? I sure do. Yep. Just pulled okay, it up. Cool. Okay, I have it as well. So we can maybe reference that as we go forward. Um, and I should say, when we sent out those PDFs, we also sent out recipes and a suggested menu. Sonar Sakia did that, and we owe him a huge thanks. He also is the Thank one you, who Sonar. sourced. Yes, yes. And, and even better, he also sourced the legs of lamb that we were able to get um, for the church. So um, really appreciate Sonar. Thanks so much. Um, uh, that, that actually provides a good segue. Um, let's just take... Uh, just a couple of short minutes here talking about the f- traditional Seder menu. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you kick us off and just talk about the centerpiece of the meal, which is the lamb. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the centerpiece centerpiece of the meal is the lamb. And uh, to the Jews, uh, this represents the lamb that was slaughtered the night Yahweh passed over them because they placed uh, blood on the doorposts and lentils. So again, it really, it goes all the way back to Exodus 12. Um, and yeah. for us, it represents Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood covers us and protects us from the judgment. That, that's really what the centerpiece of the meal, um, the Lamb, represents. Yeah, and I, I guess um, I'm just going to cover the other uh, traditional menu items quickly here, if, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, not at all. Yeah, so the Seder plate has a, a vegetable on it called the carpus. And um, this is usually parsley sprigs and near the front of the meal, it's the first thing eaten. You dip it in salt water. So, and uh, it's eaten and it's to remind the Israelites of the, the hyssop that was used to put blood on their doorpost uh, mm. in Egypt. And, um, and then also it uh, in, in, in our time, people who celebrate a Monday, Thursday Seder um, think about the, the hyssop that was used to, um, give Jesus vinegar when he thirsted. So um, to, to the Jewish mind, it represents the tears they shed in slavery. That's why it's salt water. And, and for us, it, it really represents the agony of our Lord. Um, and then there's uh, something called mahor. I may be mispronouncing that. No, I'm certainly mispronouncing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bitter herbs. And um, this is actually taken directly from Exodus 12, 8. Uh, I won't go there, mm-hmm. but if people want to see God, God commanded the eating of bitter herbs. And um, this is usually horseradish on an unleavened cracker. Mm-hmm. And it's just meant to remind the Jews of the bitterness they had in slavery. Um, in the bitterness, it reminds us of the bitterness that we have apart from Christ. Um, and then there are two other items on a traditional plate. The the first is called the cheriset, which is just side dish of fruit and nut and spices. And it, it it's supposed to be symbolic of mortar that the Israelites used um, to build buildings in Egypt. Um, but it was sweet because, again, this is within the Jewish mindset. Uh, while they were building those homes, they had the hope that God would eventually deliver them. And so it's to mm-hmm. remind them of the sweetness of that hope. Um, and then there's usually a hard boiled or roasted egg. Um, and this is supposed to symbolize mourning for the inability to worship the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't researched it, but I suspect maybe our Easter egg tradition in, in some places might have some tie-ins to that. Tie-ins I don't know it. though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the Seder meal, uh, the Seder meal features four cups of wine and the breaking of bread, correct, Tim? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. So 
other than the lamb, uh, which is obviously the centerpiece, um, the two main elements are bread and wine. And now anyone who's listening is thinking, oh, like probably some bells are going off because obviously the Lord's Supper is bread and wine, right? So um, I, I should say in reciting the meaning of these things, um, I'm, I'm pulling from a few helpful resources. Um, there's a book by uh, Joachim Jeremiah called The Eucharistic Words of Jesus, uh, a book called Christ's Baptism and the Lord's Supper by Leonard Vanderzee, and um, a book called Worship According to the Reformed Tradition by Hughes Oliphant Old. Uh, a lot of, of what we're pulling from, or at least I'm pulling from, comes from those books. I recommend them, but um, I just want to go back to this bread and wine point because mm-hmm. it, it really is critical. Um, so the Passover Seder, just like the Lord's Supper, features bread and wine. And um, the, the bread, we'll, we'll start there. The bread's, the bread's called matzah bread. And the matzah bread um, has three pieces uh, at the beginning of the meal. And the, um, the three pieces of matzah bread are placed into a pouch. The first piece of that bread is never seen. It remains completely invisible. Right, um, it's in the pouch, but it's never brought out. Nothing's ever done to it. After after it goes in, people don't see it. Um, after everyone is seated um, and the meal begins, the second piece of bread is removed from the pouch and broken in half, and the host says a blessing. So you have a piece of broken bread and a blessing. Uh, that too. should probably that should probably put off all, all you know light bulbs. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Tim, this is what Jesus is doing in the Gospels, right? When he says in in Mark 14, um, while they were eating, uh, Jesus took bread and he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Is that is that right? Is that the passage? Yeah, so that's Mark uh, 14, uh, 22, and that's exactly right. So what we think is happening here is that this is one of the places in the Bible where we see the little hints that they're going through a traditional Seder meal in the synoptic accounts. because, uh, And what we think Jesus is doing there is breaking the second piece of bread in accord with how the Seder meal unfolded. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So one more important point, um, this breaking of the bread. Um, The entire Seder meal is a big remembrance of what God did for Israel. And... um, and you see that that verse that you just cited from Mark, but you can also see it in Luke 22 and Matthew 26. Jesus is offering his guests a radical new history, right? Mm-hmm. He's interpreting the Exodus and Passover in terms of his work as the Lamb of God. And he's not looking backwards toward the Passover lamb so much as he's looking forward to the next afternoon on the cross. Gotcha. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, it, but it is, he is offering the world a new history. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. So that was the second piece of bread. Um, the question is, uh, what about the third piece? Yeah. Okay. So again, in a Jewish setting, the second piece of bread is broken. Half of it's distributed to the table and the other half is placed in a linen cloth. It, and it's kept in that linen cloth for something that happens later in the meal called the afikomen. Um We'll come to that in a few minutes, I think. Um, So that leaves a third piece of bread. The third piece of bread is really easy to explain. It's simply broken and distributed for use to eat the meal. So that you you mostly will be eating with that that third piece of bread. And honestly, if you have multiple people around your table, you're going to have more than a third piece. But symbolically, there are these three pieces that are placed in and um, distributed at different points. Different points. Okay. And then there's the wine, correct? Yeah, so the the wine is also relatively obvious. The symbolism is blood, 
Um, so red wine is usually used. Um, during the meal, um, you drink four cups of wine. The first cup is poured as all the guests assemble. Mm. This cup is traditionally called the cup of sanctification. Uh, as it's poured, the host reminds the guests that God promised to free them from slavery. Um, and then the second cup, which comes about 10, 15 minutes into the meal, is called the cup of judgment. And it's a reminder that God not only kept his promise and he did free them, but he also judged their enemies. And so um, he passed over them. There was blood on their doorposts. Their firstborn were spared. But um, for those who did not do that, God brought judgment upon them. So that's that's the, the cup of judgment. Um, so first cup, cup of sanctification poured when people are assembling. The second cup comes about 15 minutes into the meal. Um, and then the third cup is called the cup of blessing. Um, when it's poured, the host traditionally says something along the lines of, the Lord has promised to redeem you with an outstretched arm. And um, the cup of blessing actually comes near the end of the meal. It's after the main course. And um, and actually, you might find it interesting. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, uh, when he says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And his use of that expression, cup of blessing there, is almost certainly a reference to the again, contemporaneous tradition of the Passover Seder at the time. Mm, mm. Um, so, and, and I think that's really important for us to see because um, both Jesus and Paul interpret the Lord redeeming Israel with an outstretched arm in terms of Jesus's own life and death. Yeah, right. So the words of Jesus, uh, that the third cup is his blood poured out for them. It sounds very reminiscent, reminiscent of Isaiah 53, you know, where he poured him out himself out to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, it's, it sounds very much like Isaiah there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I actually, um, in Isaiah 53, um, uh, it's 53, 12, I think uh, we're told that he bore the sins of many And that phrase, the sins of many is picked up by both Matthew and Mark who, um, who record Jesus as saying, this is my blood poured out for many. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus instituted the supper, he almost certainly had Isaiah 53 in mind. Okay. Okay. So, uh, we're left with one cup. What, what about the fourth cup? Yeah, so the last cup of wine is called the cup of praise. Um, at this point, the host reminds his guests that the Lord said, I will make you my own people and I will be your God. And this comes near the conclusion of the meal. Hmm, okay, okay. Tim, this has been really helpful. I think it's a really good introduction to the Passover Seder. Is there anything else uh, that you can think of that we've forgotten to address? Yeah, so we have a few minutes left. I think I think we should address two things. The first is, um, let's go through the scripture passages that are um, used in the Seder. Okay. And then also, um, I think we should just take two or three minutes at the end to sort of um, walk through the Seder liturgy that people probably have in their hands or in front of their faces right now. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. And, and just make sure they understand the mechanics of it. Okay. So, um yeah. Is that okay with you? Do you have a few more minutes? No, that's that sounds great. I can start with the scripture passages then, which is um, which is Exodus 12, correct? Passover right. So that's, that's the foundational story and that's foundational for the whole meal. So Exodus 12 would be a great um, passage for families to read together on Monday, Thursday, for sure. Okay. And then it also includes the Hallel Psalms and the Great Hallel. 
Right. So the Seder does include um, the Halal Psalms and the Great Halal, but it occurs to me that we're introducing terms that people may not know. <laughs> That's true. Um, could you define Halal Psalms? Yes. Um, uh, the Halal Psalms are 113, Psalm 113. I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember because I just went through ordination, Psalm 113 to 118. Um, mm-hmm. And these Psalms are uh, used by Jews during Passover and Hanukkah. They generally um, celebrate God for his power to save and have the Exodus narrative again as their backdrop. Right. Uh, Hallel literally means hallelujah, or as is often translated, praise the Lord. And you'll find if you read through Psalms 113, 118, you'll see uh, that's a very common theme and the way that they begin or end the song, right. either with hallelujah or pra- praise the Lord. Yeah. So Hallel Psalms are Psalms 113 through 118. Um, you got it. Uh, you also use yes. the term the great Hillel. You wanted to find that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that would be Psalm 136. So most re- people remember that as the Psalm that has the refrain for his loving kindness is everlasting. His love endures yeah. forever, depending on your translation. Yeah, right. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And give thanks to the God of gods. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Again, for his loving kindness yeah. is everlasting, so on and so on. Yeah, for another 25 verses. So. Um, um, yeah. And, so, and this, uh, has, this has pretty obvious ties, right? Nick, uh, I just called you Nick. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> That's, I've, been, I've been called worse. So, Tom, um, yeah, exactly. this has pretty obvious ties to the New Testament, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, are you thinking because of the Thanksgiving theme or the remembrance theme? I was primarily thinking of the Thanksgiving theme. Okay, yeah. So um, the Lord's Supper is sometimes called the Eucharist. Um, Most people have heard that before. Um, Roman Catholics, for example, refer to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist. And uh, Eucharist is uh, the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Uh, So the Lord's Supper is a meal of Thanksgiving. Our our congregation has probably noticed we have a prayer of Thanksgiving at the conclusion of the Lord's Supper whenever we celebrate it. Right, right. Um, So um, we do this because Jesus instituted the meal. And when he instituted the meal, he gave thanks. Um, and we think this is a pretty important detail because Paul reminds us that Jesus gave thanks in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, so we see this kind of history of seeing the Passover Seder and its replacement in the Lord's Supper as um, as a meal of remembrance and thanksgiving. And, and you definitely see that in, in um, the usage of something like Psalm 136, which is just the great Hallel, is just a long recounting of God's works in history and giving him thanks. Give me thanks. Okay. And you were thinking when remembrance because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, right? Right. And as we've we've been saying for the last several minutes, the um the Lord's the Passover Seder is just a long recounting, a remembering of what uh, God has done for his people. And of course, Jesus does that same thing. Um he but he tells us to think through think of the meal in terms of what he's done for us. And, but um, this principle of remembrance being like a theme of the meal is something that Jesus retains, but he just tells us that the most important event of history is not the Passover. It's his life, death, and resurrection. Resurrection. So, so the Israelites recited these Psalms at the Seder and then so do we. Well, almost. Okay. So they, they actually sang them. Um, Oh, yes. My kind of people. Right, exactly. So um, if you go to like Matthew 26, 30, um, it, we're told 
after they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's at the very end of the um, institution of the Lord's Supper. That's the the final verse of that passage. So we're told that they concluded the hymn by, or concluded the supper by singing hymn and then departing. Oh, I, ha- um, I hadn't made that connection. That that that's helpful. Yeah. So um, it's one of those details that is easily misunderstood. Um, so let's see how to explain this. Uh, you know how many of the Psalms have superscripts, like Psalm three is. Um, uh, the superscript is a Psalm of David when he fled right. Absalom, yeah, his son. Right, right, right. Right. And Psalm four is a superscript. The superscript is like um, for the choir director, a Psalm of David. Um, so you following that so far? Yes. Yes. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. So in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that's the version of the Old Testament that the um, New Testament writers used. Um, these superscripts are, um, there are three Greek words that are used interchangeably. Uh, in these superscripts, psalmos, which is translated psalms, hymnaos, which is translated hymn, and ode, which is translated um, ode or um, often, and I think you'll recognize this, spiritual songs. Uh, so that's where where Paul gets psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs like in Colossians and Ephesians. Yeah, exactly. So we sometimes mistakenly read that Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in, in the way that we use it contemporaneously to mean psalms, old hymns, and praise choruses. But um, really what P- Paul is doing there is he is just commanding, exhorting the Colossians and Ephesians to, when they come to worship, to ex- exhort one another singing the whole Psalter. Every kind of psalm in it is what Paul means there. Okay. Okay. So when, in Matthew 26, when we're told at the end of the, la- of the Last Supper... Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. That's just a shorthand way of referring to concluding Psalms of the Seder. Yeah, so I think that's right. So it's probably a reference to Psalm 118 or to Psalm 136. So either the end of the Hallel or to the great Hallel. Um, Obviously, we're not equipped to sing them. We're not encouraging families to sing them necessarily. Um, But, um, you know, we have included some very fun participatory, responsive readings as Mm. part of the liturgy. And we do encourage them to do that. Okay. So um, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. Good idea. Um, And so we should do that by walking through the Seder liturgy. Um, I guess the best way to summarize this is just to do a little lightning lightning round through um, the liturgy. So if people have it in front of them, now would be a good time to reference it. Um, So why don't you kick us off? Um, Start with, oh, I should just say in the liturgy that we um, distributed to the families of the church, we have the elements numbered one, two, three, four, et cetera. So why don't you just start with number one and we can alternate here and just um, walk people through this. Yeah, good idea. Okay, so number one, um, it really just starts with a lighting of candles and anyone in in the family could uh, offer a prayer of blessing. Right, yes. Um, And then it's followed by, um, this explanation of the four cups. So there's a lighting of candles, a prayer blessing, and then the host um, explains what these four cups mean, uh, four cups of wine. We don't have to go through that. We've just done that a few minutes ago. Okay. And then so, the, um, sorry, go ahead. Tim. No, yeah. No, and then we, the, the host, which is often the father, is that right? That's correct. He's the one, he's often the one that wash, washes all the guests' hands. It doesn't have to be the father, you know, if, if depending on your circumstance, where you're doing this meal, but um, designate someone to, to wash all the guests' hands. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to point out here that in a lot of Christian traditions that celebrate Maundy Thursday, um, whether or not the meals are hosted in homes or as part of a church service um, 
at a church building, uh, often a foot washing is done as people arrive. Mm, um, okay. And, um, and so that, that is part of the tradition. Um, so it's interesting to me that the Seder tradition involves a hand-washing tradition as well. Um, the idea, though, is, of course, that the there are a few hand-washings during the meal. This is the first of a, a handful. Um, the idea is that the host is also the servant, right? And he is cleaning his guests and humbling himself for them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so the next thing, um, up in the Seder liturgy, this is number, is this number four, Tim? Let me see. Number I have it in front of me. No, this is a uh, number five. Number five. So number five is eating of the vegetable with salt water. Yeah. So, and again, that is to remind the people of the tears they had apart from God. That's correct. Okay. And then, um, then comes the, up, is it the breaking of here. the middle piece correct. of bread? Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So the next thing that happens, remember there are these three pieces of bread. The first is unseen, the matzah. The first is unseen. The second piece, we take, we break, and we bless. And so, and then half of that is distributed around the house. And, and again, this is probably in the Synoptic Gospels account, the place where Jesus um, uh, said, this is my body broken for you. And, um, and, just like as a little pro tip here, I we've celebrated um, Monday, Thursday seders uh, a handful of times in our lives. Uh, the Varner family has. Um, it's really fun at this point when you break that uh, that second piece of afikomen that that is to have the kids cover their eyes and the adults go through the house and hide it, and then later in the night after the meal concludes or, or near the end of it. Um, you kind of do an Easter egg hunt. You have the kids kind of just go crazy through the house looking for Alfie Coleman. And yeah. um, it's a good, it's a good time. I could see this as being fun or terrifying in the Belden household or <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably equal parts, equal right? Parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more in a second. It, it is a lot of fun and people should, should yeah, do that's that. a great idea. So, so it's, it's after that after the bread is broken here, that the second cup of wine is poured the the cup of judgment but importantly you don't drink that wine yet so instead the youngest person in the house asks the question why is this night different than any other night and then there is a responsive reading where the rest of the guests respond to it so why is this night different than any other night and that is called the dneu and um that is a um a fun part of the meal as well Okay. And then there is a remembrance of the Exodus called the, oh, Tim, <laughs> Good luck. get this Good wrong. Luck. I know. Is it the Mah- Mahid? Or Mahid? Uh, that, Mahid? Oh. that it's possible. That's correct. I am okay. not a good judge. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is just a recounting of the history of Exodus tw- that we find in Exodus 12. Um, remember, the whole meal is a big remembrance of God's work of deliverance. Right, right. So this section calls us to the Exodus story specifically, but it could be just as appropriate, maybe more appropriate, uh, to read a story from the Gospels, Passion Narratives. Or um, I'll just leave that to the people decide. Um, but the idea is to recount God's work of deliverance in your lives. In their lives. Okay. And then after this is the first part of the Hallel is recited. Yeah. And um, if I can just take a step backwards, um, one thing that I've seen done at that last part where we're recounting the history of God's deliverance in our lives with the scripture reading is for people to offer their testimonies or, or praises in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, to go around the table and sort of reflect on what the cross and resurrection mean to you. Um, 
So that that could be another tip in terms of people looking for practical ways to engage everyone at the table. Mm, but nice. so we'll go back to what you said. Yes. So after that's done, the first part of the Halal is recited. And that's typically just Psalms 113 and 114. Um, and, you know, I a moment ago said that the um, the prayer that is be- the responsive reading that's read by the child is called the Deneyu. I was wrong about that. Um, after the Hallel is recited, um, there's a, a prayer called the Deneyu. called that, and, okay. And it, that translates to, it would have been enough. And um, the, the host or one of the children says, it would have been enough. And then there's a responsive reading. It would have been enough, another responsive reading. Okay. It's, um, it's a fun part of the meal. Okay. So, Tim, just to pause here, just to make sure no one has eaten anything, correct? That's correct. Okay. So, this is a good point. Um, they haven't at least eaten the main course yet. Like, okay. I expect okay. there'll be appetizers and, and things out, but um, the main course has not been eaten yet or even started, but it's about to start. So, um, yeah, it's also at this point, um, that that second cup of wine that we poured a few minutes ago, that that cup of wine is now drank. So um, okay, so right as the meal is about to start is when you drink the second cup of wine. Is when you drink it. Okay, and so now we eat. Right. Yes. Okay. And um, this is just pretty normal. There's a break in the action here. The meal is served. Everyone eats. Uh, regular talk. Um, regular table manners. There's nothing unusual about this. This is just a a group of people eating a meal together. Although I I would challenge everyone to, to keep the conversation centered on remembering Jesus, if they could. Um, One of the, one of the points of a Passover Seder liturgy, or as we're doing it a Monday, Thursday Seder is to, um, is to remember, is to think deeply and personally about what, um, what the events of Passion Week mean to us. Okay. Okay. So uh, th- once this is done, we're done eating. There's the search for the afikomen, which you mentioned earlier. Right. 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 So this is well timed because if you have kids, they'll want to get up and run around at this point. <laughs> and uh, actually, many of the adults might want to as well. Yeah. Um, and so it's everyone after the afikomen, or at least the kids, and it's a fun time of just racing through the house. Again, it it it's not unlike an Easter egg hunt at all. It's very similar. And then after the kids come back, the third cup of wine is poured, correct? Yes. So that's the cup of blessing. We talked about that a few minutes ago. This is the cup that Jesus is likely referring to and the one that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. After that cup is poured, there are a few more prayers. Okay. And then we're on the home stretch, really. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're actually pretty close to done. Um, so um, right Right after this cup is poured and you can start drinking it right away, you don't have to wait for it. Um, then when you start into the back half of the Hallel Psalms, um, Psalms 115 through 118 are either saying or responsively read at this point. Okay. And then that final cup of wine is poured, the cup of praise. Right. And and then we conclude with the, um, so you can start drinking the cup of praise after you go through Psalms 115 through 118. That's right. And, and then we conclude with the great Hallel. And that's the uh, that's the end of the meal. I would just say that conclusion with the great Hallel is also a lot of fun if you do it loudly. Um, so um, it's a very simple, responsive reading, and it's a good time to encourage the kids and everyone to use their 
their diaphragms and, yeah, and yeah. really get into it, right? Well, could um, this be the place, Tim, for uh, potentially a song of Thanksgiving if you wanted to, for those who oh, are ab- mu- musically gifted and <laughs> feel inclined? Very much so. In fact, um, you know, the in the Jewish tradition, they they sang through these psalms. And so, um, and we know that Jesus sang through them, uh, as we saw in Matthew 26. And so song is absolutely appropriate if, um, if families are able to do this. Um, and actually, um, as a little historical note, um, Psalms 113 through 118 are, were often used, um, around the Lord's supper at the time of the reformation. And so, um, there's a historical tie in that, um, it's not so long ago, only a few hundred years ago. Um, yeah, so absolutely, if they if people can do it, uh, a song of thanksgiving or praise would be awesome right here. Okay, okay, awesome. Yeah, so we did that's, it, Tim. We did it. That's everything, <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that's helpful to people. Um, we really encourage everyone to um, have a fun Monday, Thursday. Um, use this dinner to reflect on the passion of our Lord. Um, I guess we should also remind people that we have a lot of activities. Um, we will probably be posting this on Wednesday morning of uh, Holy Week. And uh, so Wednesday evening, um, Pastor Brandon is leading us through a seminar on the his- the historical reliability of the resurrection. Um, people should definitely tune in for that. That'll be fun. And um, of course, this is uh, we've just gone through our Monday, Thursday um, recommendation to the congregation. And then uh, Good Friday, uh, that evening, we'll have a service. Uh, again, Pastor Brandon will be leading us through um, the meaning of Jesus' substitutionary atonement. I'm, I'm sure everyone will find that helpful. And then we have Saturday and Sunday activities as well. Um, on Sunday, of course, we have a regular service that's live streamed at 1115 while we're still under the shelter-in-place protocols. And Danny will be preaching to us about um Jesus resurrection. So there's still a lot of activity this week. We hope everyone has a really good Holy week. Um, and there's, there's certainly a lot of activities for them and their families to uh, partake in. Yeah. 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 And again, just to, you know, uh, uh, remind everyone what Tim said at the beginning, don't sweat the details or or get too, you know, precious about it. Don't push yourself to, or or don't, don't, uh, worry if you don't get everything exactly in order or there's, uh, you know, but, you know, do, uh, strive to, um, just take in the richness of, of our savior, what he's done and don't just don't let, um, it distract you from Christ, even in the fun and the festiveness of the meal. Um, uh, don't let it be a burden. Yeah, so. that's great, Drew. Thanks a lot. Hey, Drew, thanks for taking the time uh, Absolutely. to make this possible. We've had to get creative as we're in shelter in place, different ways to get to communicate with people yeah. and to yep. provide teaching. And your being here for this was super helpful. I, I appreciate it. Likewise, Tim. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, brother. <laughs>